Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show has made his livings in the cash game streets for the past 14 years and has quickly built up a rabid YouTube following of nearly 50,000 human beings as of the release of this episode, Mr. Johnny Vibes Moreno. For Johnny, poker's always been a family affair. His brother Andrew is a high-stakes live crusher, and his sister-in-law is future CPG Hall of Greatness member Christy Arnett Moreno. But as you are about to learn, gambling has not always held a warm and fuzzy place in Johnny's heart. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for his little brother Andrew's passion for poker and insistence that in the words of Rounders legend Joey Kanish, maybe this is a game can be beat, there probably isn't a universe where Johnny ends up as a professional card player. Luckily for all of us, the Morenos have a knack for playing poker at an extremely high level, and the entire poker world is better because of it. In Johnny and I's conversation, you are about to learn the unexpected career Johnny walked away from to pursue his poker dream, a greatness bomb on why you ought to take even the smallest of tasks seriously, the catalyst to Johnny starting his YouTube channel, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you live cash game crusher and YouTube phenom, Johnny Vibes. Johnny, welcome to the show, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. Nice to meet you and happy to be on. Nice to finally meet you as well. And you know, typically on this show, we start at the same place. And that place is where, you know, tell me the story of how you got involved with playing cards. Oh, man. So uh, it feels so long ago now. I've been in the game for about 14 years, uh, primarily like playing for a living that entire time. And, how old are you? Uh, I just turned 40 last week. Oh God. Is that a congratulations? It's like, no, a... it is. I feel good. <laughs> I, I feel fine with it. You know, um, married, I'm happy with the place that I'm at in life. So it wasn't a somber birthday, yeah. but, um, I think that my path to poker was similar to a lot of people that are kind of in this time frame, uh, like in the forties range or 35 to 40 range. I was introduced from my brother who was like really kind of drawn in by the moneymaker boom you know uh he started playing like in 2004 right after that when it was always on espn he it was like the right time frame in his life he was 18 19 years old playing in his friends basements and things like that i had uh i had gotten a two-year degree and uh in computer science i was writing software for a company in indiana and we were living together and every day he would come home and he would hop on the i would come home and he was on the computer just clicking buttons on party poker and poker stars and all these things and in my mind, I'm like, bro, you're just like, what are you doing? You know, like I gave you the path. I went to college. I have a job now. I'm making $50,000 a year in Indiana. You could be doing this if you just quit throwing your life away on poker. 
And uh, it was a little bit of a back and forth, you know, because I'm the older brother and I'm supposed to be guiding him. But slowly by slowly, I kept realizing that he was paying for his life significantly through poker. So I, I started to open up my mind a little bit around it and kind of watching him. And he was like mentoring me without even knowing it at first and then full blown mentoring me. Where did those reservations come from? Uh, uh, it just came from the way we grew up, honestly. I mean, we were very low income. My grandpa, uh, he had like a drinking problem and he would also like lose money at the casino. So he was like a bad gambler. So my mom uh, grew up with like this thing that, you know, gambling is bad. And and I thought that too, honestly. And I, and I still think that gambling has, you know, um, some problems with it for sure for a lot of people. So I never did. I didn't, I didn't even like, when I was 25 years old, I had never even played blackjack or I, I do have one gambling story that kind of scarred me for life when I was younger. <laughs> we, I was in uh, middle school and we were playing basketball and it was just like pickup basketball. And I, I was a little bit uh, taller for my, my uh, grade. I'm, I mean, I'm six foot five right now. People are get so blown away when they see me in person, but I was a basketball player and there was an older kid that was like three grades older than me. And I remember thinking like, I could beat this guy. And we were at the playground. So we like started, I started like showing off and like putting moves on him and stuff. And he, I was like, do you want to play one-on-one? And given that he's three years old, I mean, the difference between 12 years old and 15 years old is like massive when it comes to like how physically developed you are. But I kind of had this confidence about me that I could beat him. And he was like, sure, do you want to bet? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he was like, you want to put some money on this? I was like, oh, I don't have any money. He's like, how about a, a, a video game? I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. And he's like, I'll trade my, I don't even remember what it was. It was like, I'll trade my street fighter for your Mike Tyson's punch out or something like that. And I was like, and all my friends were like, do it. You got him. You know? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So um, we played and I beat him. And then he like kind of bullied me cause he was like older and he's like, no, we have to win by two to like win. And I remember like kind of fighting back and kind of just giving in and say, okay, that's fine. I'll beat you by two. And he ended up beating me. And that actually like me physically walking into the house and taking the video game that my dad had bought for me. You know, my dad worked in a factory and feeling so much shame around losing something that was like a gift and something that my dad had worked hard for. I kind of kept that inside of me. And I was like, wow, this feeling of losing and gambling is something that I really never want to experience again. So I was so far away from ever thinking about gambling when my brother started playing poker and introducing me to the game. And how did your mom react? You know, while, and Andrew, by the way, is uh, Christy Arnett, former chasing poker greatness, two X guest. Um, Andrew, Andrew is Christie's husband and Johnny's brother. Yeah, my mom, uh, my mom was in college until I was uh, 14 years old. So she didn't have any, we were like living on food stamps and my dad's factory job and things like that. So she was not really into it. But because my mom and I were so close in age, she had me when she was a teenager. I was kind of the quote unquote, man of the house, my, my parents were divorced. And she kind of just trusted me. Like I, I did a lot of things for the family, you know, like I would help her out with like watching the kids. I would do laundry, I would clean the house. Like 
So when I, when I validated, Hey mom, I'm actually playing poker along with Andrew, that kind of shifted my whole family's outlook on it because they were like, Oh, our son who is working in corporate America, writing software is placing his stamp of approval. Someone that, you know, we really trust on what Andrew's doing, playing poker for a living. They, they were immediately open to it. So that helped a lot. But, but when I was writing code and my brother was playing um, poker, it was my job to convert Andrew to college and to fix, basically fix him. Yeah. <laughs> and he ended up, you know, fixing me and, and making me realize that there's more to life than just punching a, a clock and, uh, and that there's other ways to make money through your own like hustle and drive. No, that that's great. And I think that's a, just such a good testament to, you know, your parents and the people of authority that like they trusted you and gave you permission and the room to explore something that they had previously been opposed to. I think that's just for people who are parents listening in the audience right now. I think that's just such such an incredible gift to give your kids to explore, you know, their path and explore things that interest them and maybe it does not mesh well with your belief system, but maybe it's viable anyway. And just keeping an open mind and not being closed-minded, I think like just a lot of harm can be done in those very, very, very important relationships. Yeah, um, no, hundred percent. How, how did you feel when, you know, you're trying to convert Andrew and he's like pushing back on you? Like, nah, man, I don't want to, I don't want to convert. <laughs> I want to keep doing this. Well, it was tough because at the end of the day, we were really good friends. It wasn't just that I was his older brother. So as much as I would push, I would also allow him to be who he was as a friend. So I, I wasn't that over the top strict with him. Um, I let him live in my condo that I had bought crazy. I paid $50,000 for a condo in Indiana. That was like a really nice condo. My mortgage was $298 a month. So I can let you live here for free. (laughs) Right. Um, So, you know, I, I was supporting him in a lot of ways. So as a big brother, like as much as I wanted to steer him since we were friends, I kind of just let him figure it out on his own. And I was kind of always there for him. So you're experiencing poker through him by osmosis. What was the, the point where things changed for you and your relationship with poker that was like, hold on a second. Like, this is actually kind of interesting. There was two distinct turning points in my mind, actually three now that I think about it. Uh, And one of them was a day that I was at work cranking away on some code. And Andrew just decided to start sending me the confirmation emails that you get after you win a sit and go. Uh, And I think he was playing heads up sit and go. So it's like, you know, 50% chance of winning. But there was one day where he sent me like 50 congratulations, you have finished first place in a tournament uh, emails. And then I was like, what is going on all in one day? So like I go home and I'm like, what happened today? Like, show me what you're doing. He's like, oh, I'm playing these sit and goes. And I'm like, well, where, what was your account? But when you started the day and where is it now? And he was like, he showed me and he's like, there's a strategy to this. So that was kind of like the first light bulb that kind of went off. Uh, another one was he was playing these step tournaments on party poker. And I, I remember I was laying in bed watching uh, uh, NBA basketball, Indiana Pacers. And he comes in the room and he goes, hey, bro. And I'm like, what's up? And he was like, I just won $16,000. And I was like, what? 
he was like in the living room playing poker and i'm like what are you talking about like 60 that's like almost half the amount of money i make in a year you know <laughs> and he's like yeah i i was playing these tournaments where you start with like a, a dollar and i had made my way up to like the fifth step and now i'm playing in a $16,000 buy-in tournament tomorrow and i'm like wait you have to gamble with that 16,000 <laughs> and he's like yeah it's part of the model of like the stepping and things like that and i'm like now i'm freaking out like can't you just ca- you know can't you cash this out is what i'm thinking <laughs> so eventually nobody was playing this 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 higher step because it was such a big buy-in uh, i remember and- that step there is like the 500 the 1k and then that giant one that like basically you had to coordinate it with the other people on like two plus two to even get the damn thing running because it would just never run exactly and he he didn't know what two plus two was he would sit down every other day there'd be four people that would sit and it would never fill up and he tried for like a month straight so he finally emailed support and uh, they were like, yes, we're just going to let you cash this out because we can't get this game going. So he ended up being able to cash it out, which is obviously another turning point for me. We're like, wow, somebody's taking this amount of money from an online site. And then the third and final thing was we had a, a tournament in Fort Wayne that was kind of like the annual poker live tournament. And he got second place in that tournament for some big amount of money. I, I want to say it was like around $10,000 or something. So those three things kind of combined made me realize that he was better than the people that were playing, especially in Fort Wayne where I lived, but also in these little niche games that he was playing online. And I never really even had to lose. I I got to come home from work and just sit over his shoulder and have him show me what he was doing without me ever having to deposit a single dollar. But by the time I was ready to throw throw like 50 bucks on onto Bovada, I had already kind of had this like, tight aggressive strategy and position that could win in 2006 and seven you know yeah that's like one of my favorite quotes is like you you always you can recognize the pioneers because they're face down with face down in the dirt with arrows in their back and like when you're when you're a pioneer and you're on your own and you're figuring shit out where all the buttons are and like just all the nuances of poker strategy life is difficult and there's a high failure rate and it's frustrating but when you have somebody that is on the path and shows you the path directly, uh, especially back in like 2005-ish era where it's very rare to stumble across somebody that's like another winning poker player. That's just such a massive edge. Like it's such a massive gift. You, you can't even put a value on it. Yeah, there's no possible way that I would have ever stumbled into poker if it wasn't for someone like my brother who lived with me who was so all in on the game, who persevered through the period of time where most people fail. I mean, the chances of me ever getting involved in poker is 0.0000 without this. And then not to mention, everybody has ups and downs in poker. And there was a time in poker where, you know, I I struggled, you know, everybody struggles. And a couple of years in, I had lost all the my bankroll through like poor bankroll management. And my brother was there to just hand me $20,000 and keep me going along my way and mentor me. And and then my brother struggled at times, but we never lost all of our money at the exact same time. So anytime he struggled, I was able to get him back in the game. And anytime I struggled, him or Christy were able to get me back in the game. And without that support system in place, I might not have been able to survive to the point that I am now. You know, it's just, it's invaluable. 
Absolutely. And for the listener here talking about, you know, going broke or basically losing your bankroll, I think it's very important to add that like in the cash game streets, you know, it's not that players go broke always because of a lack of skill. It's that life is expensive and your bankroll is your livelihood and you pay your bills through your bankroll. And so like you can win a hundred K and spend 110 K in a year and you feel broke, right? Like, especially especially when I'm in my mid twenties and I'm going through a breakup and I just left my corporate job and I'm living in Vegas and I make $30,000 in a month and a half. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so much money. I used to make, 50,000 in a year. This is cash in my pocket. We're going to excess. We're trying to meet girls We're I'm taking a week off from poker so that I can go see my friends in Phoenix. I fly to Barcelona so that I can hang out with my Swedish friends. I don't play poker for a month and a half. And then I'm like, wow, I actually just spent 25 K of this money. I need to go back to the poker table. I only have 5 K in my pocket right now. And then, lose the 5K, and then I have a couple like- losing sessions and it's like, Christy, I need to borrow money. And she's like, what are you doing? You made 30K like a month and a half ago. <laughs> Yo, Christy, we're being a young, dumb kid. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the answer is like all poker players, I think at that age are just young and dumb and think that like, yeah, they're just bulletproof and don't really think about the consequences of these things. It's, you know, it, it takes time to find your footing as a professional and really understanding like what a professional actually means as it relates to poker. For us, man, we're again we're forging our own path we didn't have these people to look at uh, these like digital mentors to kind of give us guidance in our career it's like we're just figuring this out on our own like we're kind of the first wave of this new age professional poker player yeah 100 percent. and the people that were you know popular back then were you know the you know the phil ivies and the daniel granus and the mike mattisows and all these characters that we had on TV, there was no like signing up for a masterclass or, you know, getting a, a, a raise your edge subscription back then. It was like, if you don't stay up to date on figuring things out, if you're not data mining, if you're not pouring through your stats, eventually the people are going to start passing you by. There's going to be younger, hungrier people. And I was in this mindset that like, if I'm winning, uh, if I'm winning this much in a two five game, I don't really need to move up in stakes. I don't really need to work too hard because I'm always going to be able to print money at this stake and survive. And when, when you're like making money without working hard, it can lead to, uh, it can lead to disaster in a lot of ways by not staying up and, and feeling like, you know, cause, I mean, I, there was a five ten game that I was playing in, in San Diego where everybody was, so bad and i could just go in every single day and play like a pretty simple strategy and not work too hard and win money in the long run but that just went away you know they the game died the place closed down the building's actually bulldozed now you know and now there's no 510 running in san diego anymore so things change and you got always i always like thought that they would just be like the same forever yeah i think most young poker players think that until, you know, I didn't realize I could get fired until black Friday happened. Like that was like, Holy shit. I just got fired and I have no backup plan. Like, what am I doing with my life right now? Going back to your journey? You know, you, you mentioned that you 
eventually moved to Vegas from Indiana. Like when did that happen? Like once poker got a hold of you, you make your deposit, you run it up, you have some success. Like what was the transition period between like, cause it feels like a pretty important point in your life. When you quit your job, this career you've earned and that you value. So tell me about making that decision and what happened after that. Yeah, like I mentioned, Andrew and I were very close in terms of our friendship. And there was a point where him and Christy, they came to me and they're like, hey, we're we're moving to Vegas. And um, I, I was like, okay, you guys, I, I'm supporting you. I'm going to miss you guys so much because it's like my sister and my brother, you know, they, they lived with me. We had this like three, three-way family unit that was super tight. So when they said that they were leaving, I was, I was sad. Of course, I helped them move to Las Vegas. We packed up the car, the U-Haul, got them there. And then it was Memorial Day weekend. And we were just like, it was my first time in Vegas. I had never been to Vegas. And we're just, you know, it's Sunday. We're drinking on the strip. And it's, you know, 75 degrees out. And I live in Indiana. And I have to say goodbye to them. And I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't feel like real life. Like, this feels so amazing. They, I'm going to go home and go back to work. And they're going to stay here and just try to grind and try to make a living. And that's felt so exciting to me at the time. But the response with me was like, I got to go home. So I went home, spent six months back in Indiana. But every night, for sure, when I would go home, I was on Bovada, like playing 25 cent, 50 cent, playing sit and goes. And over time, I started to develop like a little bit of a confidence that maybe I could do this, you know. And I, it was more that I just missed them so much. So I went to my, my job and I'm like, hey, I, I got to go to Vegas. It was six months later. I got to go to Vegas. My brother lives there now. And I just, I need a change in my life. And I miss them so much. So they were like, you can keep your job and move to Vegas. Like you can ride coat from Vegas. So it's hard to say no to that guaranteed paycheck. So I was like, let's, let's give this a try. So I went there and then now I have my remote job. And then every single day I was spending less time on my job and more time at the Bellagio. And and after a while, I'm like, I think I can make as much money, if not more, playing poker if I put in similar hours. So that was it. I was like, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back to writing code. You know, like at the time, people that wrote code were pretty valuable. So they still are, I think. Aren't yeah, they? for sure. But I think it's a lot more competitive now. Um, you know, it was a little bit easier to get a job back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I quit and... I went all in with poker and How did every, that feel? Single, every single day that went by, I mean, it was scary for sure. And I, I, I thought in the back of my mind, like, if this doesn't work out, I can just always go back to, to my job or I can always go back to writing code. But every single month that went by that I was living life on my own terms and that I was like going through the ups and the downs and having the rewards of you know, making my own schedule and being able to, you know, visit friends when I wanted to and making more money than I was making in um, software. I was like, it's like a spectrum, you know, day one, I could go back to my job in a second. Month one, I'm like, I could definitely go back to my job if it doesn't work out. Six months in, I'm like, I don't know. This is like, even if I have a downswing, I'm going to try to figure this out because this is like, I'm liking this lifestyle. Year in, two years in, I would say about two years in, I was like, there's no way that I'm ever going back to working in software or working at a job. I'm going to figure this out or I'm going to die trying. 
yeah, I could, I mean, once you get a taste of the freedom and the autonomy, it's really hard to go back to some, some somewhere where somebody else is calling the shots. Um, it's very, very difficult. So those, those early years while you're in Vegas, did you, did you have your own place? Were you living with Christy and Andrew? Uh, we, we bounced around. We lived off the strip in a, in a house, the three of us. And then we, uh, we wanted to try, um, living on the strip. So we got a place at sky Las Vegas and just right down the street from Wynn. played at Wynn all the time. Uh, kind of, that was the period of life after, um, my relationship had ended. Uh, I, my girlfriend and I had moved to Vegas together and that was a disaster, you know, the Vegas lifestyle and, you know, everything. It just, it ended in disaster. And at that point I started to make decent money in poker. I was fresh out of a relationship. So I was like, let's move down to the strip. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be able to grind a lot. And then we'll be able to like participate in the festivities of being single on the strip. So we did that for maybe two years at sky. That was a lot of fun. And then we ended up moving to uh, another house off the strip, just kind of bouncing around and figuring out the lifestyle that we kind of wanted. Funny fact is that we actually rented Alan Kessler's house off the strip. <laughs> just arbitrarily or? I think that Christy had like interviewed him one time and in passing, she was like, oh, we're looking for a new place. And he's like, oh, I got a place. You should check it out. So, <laughs> so you're living in Kessler. Yeah. Uh, helping him make his way through travel and tournament coupons. <laughs> yeah. um, so you're in the cash game streets. Did you ever have any thoughts of playing tournaments? Were you always attracted to the cash game grind? I mean, honestly, no. I First of all, I didn't have a lot of respect for tournament players. I thought they were absolutely terrible poker players. And I thought that, you know, the lifestyle of traveling and playing all these tournaments it's like an up and down thing. And I was just there for the money. I was just there to scratch out a living and to make consistent money. And when you're, when you're playing in a two, five game and a five, 10 game, and you're winning 70% plus of your sessions and your hourly is over a hundred dollars an hour, the thought of playing a tournament is like, why would I want to throw my money away on a lottery? So I didn't, it was just a combination of things that I thought that playing tournaments could affect my lifestyle in a negative way. I just never went down that path. And it's there's been a transition in some ways where the softest games in poker right now are in tournaments. Like the the worst players are playing tournaments and the best tournament players in the world are reaping the rewards. So I'm I'm like having some, you know, back and forth with myself now. Like maybe in the year 2020, 2021. Maybe it's time that I start exploring tournaments, especially now that I'm cultivating revenue streams outside of poker. This is like the first year that I've been able to build up a brand essentially and have some opportunities come my way to to um, make money outside of poker. Also, like get invited to games. I I got to play in a 50-100-100 game on um, WPT cash game solely because I make content. Like they they wanted to have me on and it was a good lineup with a few bad players. And I'm like, I would just never have this opportunity if I never um, made content. So opportunities have been coming my way. And now I'm starting to get the tournament bug now that I like, don't have the, um, have the like need to grind cash all the time. I, 
it's funny because I, I feel the same. I feel the, the same bug, but there's a part of me that's like, okay, so there's whatever this 2K tournament to play in. But then there's another part of me that like wants to walk in the poker room and look at the cash game lineup and be like, nah, <laughs> nah, I, I'm gonna, these are my people. This is where I go. Um, so there, it's always this conflict, it, this inner conflict that I have with myself. You mentioned something though that I would like to address. You know, you thought tournament players were worse than cash game players. Um, I, I guess- my identity is wrapped up in being good at poker. So I thought that the best players in the world were cash game players and which at the time was probably true. You know, you know, I idolized people like Tom Dwan and Victor Blum and these kind of people, Bill Galfon. And then, you know, at the time, the tournament guys, I just didn't really resonate with them. And I thought that they were just clicking buttons and I didn't um, think that it was like something that was um, like something that I really aspired to be. Like I wanted to be kind of like a, a great mind and a great thinker in poker and i thought you know when you get into like the 20 big blind range poker is really just like a a a game of timing and you know moving it in with your range the range of the hands that you want to do that with and figuring out the range of hands that you want to call and do call off with and three bet fold with like that's kind of a pretty simple strategy whereas like i'm playing deep stack poker games and we can go over spot, like we can go over one street on one spot for three hours with my brother. Like I found that so much more mentally stimulating than these like 50%, you know, all ends kind of thing. I, I'm not trying to throw you to the wolves because I had the same exact thoughts as a cash game player was like, I kind of looked down on tournament players. Um, right. You know, again, I, I was very arrogant as a young adult too. So that's uh, pretty much an idiot. So that's just sort of how, yeah. how I thought. No, about I mean, I, I have, I have no problem saying that I was totally wrong. Like, you know, great tournament players, they put in the work too. You know, they put in the work differently than, than I was putting in the work. And that was just my ego talking. Like sure. that wasn't, that wasn't actually true. You know, they, I mean, it, well, maybe not a hundred percent true. Right. I think too, that, that there are some, tournament players that have ran good and some very good spots to get kind of overrated. Like, I think that's the thing that certainly happened back then for sure. It's because like you get the prestige in tournament and people think that like you win a tournament and then you're somebody right at, but as if playing a tournament for three days, that player has fundamentally changed from where they began to the end of this one single tournament. That to me always kind of rubbed me the wrong way of like, no, this dude, you know, they won the main event but they're not a significantly different player than where they started. So like we're, we're crowning them because they won the most prestigious tournament in the world. However, a week ago they had 10 K in winnings and like we're losing cash game players. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's a lot of ego and a lot of like, I think cash game players maybe have a chip on their shoulder too. Like I know I do where it's like, this is where real poker is played in the cash game streets. Like I don't respect somebody, somebody wins a tournament. Like, yeah, Come on, come come to the cash game streets. Let's battle. Let's let's see what's also, up. Also, like, know? who knows how much they've bought in? You know, their Hendon mob looks like great, but maybe they're just a businessman firing away on all these buy-ins, and that's one of the reasons why I, you know, had that chip on my shoulder too. And at the end of the day, it is it's the ego. Like I, I wanna, you know, I wanna feel like I'm important, and when someone who wins a tournament. I feel like maybe they didn't earn it or maybe they 
don't deserve the accolades. That's just my ego talking and you know, it's, it's whatever. So I, I've come, I've come full circle with it. And I, if someone wins a tournament, like I'm not, I'm not jealous about it anymore. I'm congratulatory, you know, like great, you know, people winning tournaments and the eyeballs on poker from, you know, the accolades of everyone just is overall better for the game. You know, people are going to be attracted to it. People are going to be playing tournaments more. People are going to bust out of those tournaments and come play the cash game. So it's, it's good for an ecosystem to glorify tournament players. So I'm, I'm on board with doing it now. And too, like I've noticed, and maybe, maybe you can relate to this too, but like basically when you see somebody do something that is like just so above the rim that you're like, wow, like, you know, you're just kind of awestruck and you kind of realize too, that like something like this happens, like the average everyday person sees it as like amazing and incredible, but they can't really appreciate how incredible it actually is. Um, I see this kind of greatness in the tournament streets, just like watching replays, um, you know, like Kristen Bicknell folding uh, a boat to Dara O'Kearney in that hand. And it's like, fuck man, that like, and and it, it all makes sense that that entire hand actually makes sense. And Dara has no bluffs there. And that's like a very disciplined, great fold by Christy. But like just understanding like all the things that go into it and being in the pressure cooker of like somebody's watching this, this is like live stream, you're playing down for a million dollars, having so much self-belief to execute in the moment um, is just blows me away. It's it's something that is so impressive that, you know, it it kind of uh, gives me a little bit of goosebumps. Um, I see tournament players doing these things and it's like, man, like I was... I was kind of, I was way wrong about the the tournament players because like the top, top tournament, tournament pros, they're incredible. They're amazing. It, it's they they do things that are just like, look like magic to me. Yeah. And the fact that they're buying into hundred thousand dollar tournaments and battling with the best players in the world. I mean, that speaks volumes. These guys are just, they're built differently. They're absolute animals. They're beasts. I've had an opportunity to comment on, you know, do commentary on, you know, high stakes games and these kinds of things. And that's something that I'll just, I'll never, I'll never presume to know what someone's thinking. And I'll never presume to, to think that someone's not, you know, thinking on an insanely high level when they make a play. So if any, if they see some, if they do something that I don't understand, I'm never one to say that's bad or what are they thinking? I'm one to say, wow, their, their mind is like so far beyond what I'm even thinking at this point, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of go straight to like, what must they know? Like what, what must they know to be able to make that deviation? Because obviously I'm missing something and really with so much information available, knowing like their whole cards and all the data points they have to analyze, like you can kind of reverse engineer what it is they must have known in that spot that led to that decision, which is cool for me. Like, I think that's something that people just do in general when it comes to like poker commentary is just outright dismiss a strategy as being like lesser or a decision as being awful when it's like, no, 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 let's, let's take a step back here and let's like really think about this because there's a, you know, something looking awful and you being ignorant of this strategy that's put in place, both kind of look and feel very similarly. And so investigating those spots are really where a lot of the growth can come from. Yeah, definitely. I think there's this new concept that's been playing on uh, Solve for Why. I don't know if you've seen it, the Poker Out Loud concept. 
I have. It, it's it's pretty interesting because a lot of times we're speculating on what someone's thinking, you know, to make a certain play. And I, I love the concept because now we don't have to speculate. Like they're actually saying out loud what they're thinking when they make those uh, when they make those moves. And I had the I had the privilege of being able to play on the show, and I did something and I talked it out. And I guarantee if I wouldn't have talked it out and people know, knew my thought process, they would have been like, what is Johnny doing? Is he just like punting off here on a four card straight board with like top pair and a flush draw? But I, I had the opportunity to talk it out and say why I was doing it. So I, yeah, it was like a unique uh, insight into, you know, what are people thinking when they make these moves? Yeah, I did. A, we did a thing in, in Greatness Village, which is my Slack community where it was sort of like the online version of poker out loud, where we played like a six, uh, six handed cash game for a couple of hours. And like everybody recorded their own screen and verbalized the thought process um, in the hands that they were in. And it was super cool. Like, because it's like, how does, how is how I'm thinking about this hand? Like, does it match up with how this other person is thinking? Or if I'm speculating on like what I think their thought process is and the range of hands that they're making these decisions with, like, is it close? Which is just like a, I found myself kind of trying to find the right video in this moment of like, oh, I'm playing against him. Let's see what he was thinking at like 14 minutes and 22 seconds. And it's like, yeah, cool. Like I was on point there. That's a really cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And actually the, my, my, plan was to mash them all up together and then i realized how big of a project that would be and then i kind of melted down and never did anything <laughs> just all like separated still I, ha- I still haven't spliced them together yeah i can't imagine the i mean software wise productions are already off the charts but mashing all that up into um a video is a lot of work it's insane amount of work that's why i released pure podcast audio because audio is much easier to edit than video. Yeah. And I, yeah, I like, I like the audio format as well. It's, it's easy. It's natural. There's a lot, usually a lot of good information in it and you're, you're able to like push out content quickly. Yeah. And it's a great secondary activity too. Like you Mm -hmm. put in your earbuds and you're working out or taking a walk or whatever. You can just listen to a podcast and work Mm -hmm. out at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so at some point you become a vlogger. I don't know at what point that is. I know we're skipping a little bit ahead in your journey. So kind of walk me through what led up to you entering the the content creation game. Uh, it was a couple, there's a couple catalysts for this. Uh, one of which was, I mean, when you're surrounded by certain people, they just rub off on you. It's the exact same way that Christy and Andrew got me into playing poker. You know, they, they loved the game every single night when we would come home and have dinner, they were talking through hands. So I, just by being around them, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to love poker. Like they're loving poker. Christy was a content creator. She did content for poker news, card player before that. And I got to see like the fun that she would have being creative. You know, she created a video that was like what people say in Vegas, you know, and just like seeing the the creative things that went into that. So being around her and then also, you know, running in the cash game streets in Vegas, I would run into Andrew Nimi at the tables, you know, 10, 15, 10 to 12 years ago. So once I saw him creating content, I'm like, oh, this is a guy that I know that I've played poker with and looks like he's having a lot of fun doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to try this. Uh, I, I had already like 
been making videos where I wasn't in them. They were like little travel videos where I'd mash up songs and I was also mashing up my own songs. So I had this like creative thing that was, that was fun for me. And I'm like, let's see if I can get in front of the camera. It was like not good at first. I mean, I'm just, you know, didn't have any practice with public speaking or, or being in front of a camera. And I committed to 10 videos. I was like, I'll do 10 videos. I want to, I don't want to just do one and quit. So I, I picked a number, 10 videos in 10 weeks. And then on the seventh video, um, everybody started watching it like in one day. It was like YouTube figured out that people wanted to watch it. So I, and it was a video where I had lost a big amount of money um, in a short amount of time. I had lost like close to $7,000 in like two and a half, three hours. And I immediately recorded my reaction afterwards and, um, you know, how I was upset and frustrated. And people just started commenting like, oh man, like I've been there, you know, and like people kind of relate to the losing uh, a lot and, and the humility and, you know, me feeling down and things like that. So it's weird because YouTube uh, notifies you through like a push notification when someone comments on your video. So I had, I had been seeing comments come through on previous videos, but on the seventh video, I wasn't really getting notified because I, there's this threshold that happens when people start commenting on your videos so much that it just stops notifying you. And I was like, huh, maybe people aren't really like no, commenting on this video. I went to sleep and woke up and there was like 300 comments or something. And I was like, what is happening? Like overnight. Um, and then people were like, please give us more. Please tell us more about the poker. Please tell us more. So then I was like, okay, I can commit to, after the 10 videos, I was like, I can commit to, you know, one video every 10 to 14 days, you know, cause at the end of the day, I wasn't making money doing it. It was just this creative outlet and it was something that people were asking for, but I was a grinder. So I had to kind of make my life um, through grinding. But at the same time, um, it was a fun project. And after a while, I started to see uh, that potentially, um, not only was I having fun with it, but potentially it could be something that could add uh, value to my life in terms of providing for my family. So I was like, let's keep doing this. You know, let's, let's try meetups. Uh, you know, I was booking casino meetups and just kind of going down that rabbit hole. And it was really good for me because I'm an introvert at heart. And this was really helping me become an extrovert and be more social and things like that. So in more ways than one, it has been very good for my growth. So John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah. So I got the, basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening. And yesterday I played a session of uh, 1KNL on Ignition and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks flop turn river into me and I ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead and the course is $99 so <laughs> definitely paid for itself very very quickly and, and I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 no limit like I think this is a course that will very very quickly pay for itself given how how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is, what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's gotta be like in the top three most frequently asked questions. You, you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen. You said like, you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself. I feel like 
you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I am almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and we'll have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is. If you'd like to check out Neutralize Flop Leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single race pot, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. That's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. Let me ask you about creativity because, you know, you were in computer science and there is an art. You are creating things. Have you always been a person who's valued the creative side of, of life? Oh, I've never really thought of myself as a creative person. You know, like I wasn't an artist growing up. I didn't play an instrument. I've always been kind of like the math nerd, the the logic kind of person. Um, so no, I, I it wasn't something that I felt was natural for me. But through software development, I kind of realized that there's a huge creative part of that because when you're presented a problem, there's no... There are like an infinite possibilities of ways to code through that problem. So that was kind of, as as weird as it sounds, that was kind of like my first foray into creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, I, I loved uh, writing code. At the end of the day, though, I, I did pull a lot of uh, energy and I did like being social in the right in the right situations even though my natural proclivity is probably to be more of an introvert, I, I found myself surrounding myself with people that were extroverts. Like all my best friends were like wild and crazy, even though like I was kind of the quiet one. So I always thought like, I want to be more like them. I want to be more outrageous. I want to be more creative. So that was a process of me just trying to like put myself out there and, and be more of a creative person. Yeah. And I think that pairing that with the vulnerability, you know, you, your YouTube videos are very well done. Like they're produced at a high level that makes, makes me very jealous. Yeah. But it's not, it wasn't like that from day one. You know, I mean, I remember the, the lighting in my videos was terrible. The way that I presented, the way that I talked was very monotone. The cuts that I did just like everything, it was a learning process. You know, it's like the first time you sit down at a poker table there's mistakes that I'm making all all over the place. You know, I mean, no matter how good you are, you're always going to make mistakes. Even in editing, like there's videos that I upload sometimes when I, I'm like, oh, I, I messed this up. And, you know, it's always going to be that way. But when you have this thing in poker, in creative, in, in doing creative endeavors, kind of like always want to be leveling up and like figuring out something cool and new for the next video or um, understanding some strategy better the next time you sit down in a poker session. I would say you're, you're selling yourself a little short because in my opinion, they were really good fairly quickly. Like I, I remember checking out your YouTube channel. It was probably, could be a year and a half ago. I don't know when it was, but I remember thinking like, damn, this design is good. Like all this stuff is good. It just pops out and it, it looks nice. And I wish I could make my stuff look nice like that instead of looking like absolute dog shit. Um, so like, I, I do think that you did have, you know, some a natural talent. And of course, like, the more you immerse yourself in something, the more 
you go through the motions, you figure out where all the buttons are, the better you get at said thing. And there's always things that you wish you would have done differently or cuts that you now see were superior and all this very nuanced and kind of small stuff. And I ultimately, I I will want to, I don't want to add one thing. And I think that this is kind of like something that applies to everything and everything, like not just poker, but there's a quote and I don't know the exact quote, but it's the, the gist of it is something like this. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So the obsession that I have with like the cuts and the production value of my videos is the same obsession that I have with poker. You know, it's like, I want to like learn and get, do these things really well. And it's kind of interesting, like the highest value um, content out there um, is usually like it, it or it, it translates well to like how much that person takes their poker game, how serious they take their poker game as well. So that, I think that's like a little cheat cheat, a little cheat code for everyone to like analyze, like how am I doing this one thing is like maybe seems insignificant, but it's spilling over into every aspect of your life. Absolutely. And like, you know, poker was an obsession and that there's no two ways about it. That's what it was. It was my life. It wasn't, it wasn't this like sometimes I think about poker strategy. It's like 24 hours a day. I dream about it. I'm talking about it with my, like it is full blown obsession. And when it came to podcasting, you know, just like with your vlog, like I love doing it. And that's why, you know, we talked about me releasing three episodes a week and how that's like a lot. And the reality is that for me, it's pretty easy to release three episodes a week because I love doing it. Like I love having these conversations. It gets me out of bed. My wife and I were talking and, and just less than a week ago. And she's like, you know, what would we do if, if we won the lottery? Like, what, what would you want to do? And I'm like, I would do the exact same shit that I do right now because I love it, which is like, that was actually a, a pretty nice epiphany was like, wow, like I love what I do so much that even if I had infinite money, I would still continue doing the same things that I'm doing. The scenery. I, I, better. I relate. I relate to that a lot. I, there was a story. Um, have you been following the NFT thing lately? Like all this explosion with NFTs? Vaguely, but I feel like I'm like a boomer who's like, what are we selling? Like freaking JPEGs to each other? Like, what is this? So there's this guy, his name's Beeple. Uh, he goes by Beeple online. And he was making digital art every single day for I want to say 12 years and he wasn't making any money doing it, but it was something that he loved so much that every single day he found time to create a digital piece of art. And here we are 12 years later and he decides to take all of the things that he's done every single day and mash them up into one piece of art that represents the whole 12 years. And people recognize that like, him doing that for 12 years and, and his dedication to that, they felt like it was valuable. Like, I don't know how valuable it was, but somebody paid $69 million for a one-of-one copy of this digital piece of art. And it didn't happen because by accident, like he's like, Hey guys, I'm going to put up this digital piece of art. Do you guys want to come buy it? No, it was 12 years of obsession of doing something that he never thought he was going to make a single dollar for. He was just so obsessed with it. 
that, you know, not everybody's going to turn their obsession into $69 million one day after making no money for 12 years. But I think it's a cool lesson in that if you are obsessed about something, it can lead to big rewards without, without actually like the goal of being the big rewards. The, the, the goal is the obsession, really. And it's, it's passion, it's emotion, it's love. I think that, you know, it's not a surprise that your seventh video exploded because you lost 7K in a few hours and you're raw, you're vulnerable. Humans are drawn into emotion. And like all of those digital pieces of artwork made over 12 years, you know, that represents love. That represents passion of like doing this thing. And humans identify with that. It pulls people in. You can't fake that. Um, you can't just like want to make a, a, a poker podcast um, sort of like a factory. You bring in somebody and like you're just going to churn out episodes over and over and they're just going to be good. If, if the heart's not in it, people know. People are attracted to, you know, people are attracted to that kind of passion. And, and so it doesn't surprise me one bit. And like basically if you have that kind of passion in your life and you just keep at it, people will be attracted. People will find it, especially if you're working on your craft and you're trying to do it in the best possible way that you can. Yeah, to- totally agree, man. Okay, so you know you started your vlogging career. You gave yourself ten episodes. You have this creative outlet, and you know things. The tipping point kind of comes at like episode seven. And then, what was your internal dialogue like coming from you know just being a full time grinder to like, oh, there's this thing that's kind of gaining traction. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's like with anything like well, like I said, one how you do one thing is how you do everything. So once I realized that people wanted to see more, it was now it's a game in my head. Like, how do I give people the most value? Because at the end of the day, the most value that I give them is what's going to have them subscribe is what's going to have them follow me on social media. And so the game was essentially just building the biggest brand that I could you know, while still being able to play poker, because while building the brand and building out my social channels was a fun like game that I wanted to win. I wasn't quite sure like if it was going to make me the money that poker would make me. So I kind of had to cultivate the poker along the way. But it's really hard to do everything um, perfectly. And I didn't create a lot of content, you know, like, people were always asking for more content. I had to like, try to balance it. And the moment that you kind of like start spreading yourself thin, you don't do you you kind of like don't do the other thing as good as you were doing it before. So I I didn't really make a lot of strides in my poker game from the point that I started uh creating content to now. I kind of like leveled off there and put a little bit more energy into getting better at creating content. So at the time I was like a little bit like having second thoughts about it because my brother and I had a very similar hourly. Like we, you look at our graphs and you look at our stats, they were so similar. I mean, we talked poker all the time and like he was my mentor. So that would make sense. But then once I started creating content, his hourly just kept going up and he started playing like biggest game. Now he's, you know, doing so well. He's like, has a, a staking business and like I bought out of the staking business and now like I'm not making as much money as him. But yet now I'm like spending all this time on content. So I was having a lot of second thoughts, like, what am I doing? Like, I love poker. Do I really need to be like creating all this content? Like I could be on the same path as my brother. 
but now here we are like three years later, my brother's thinking like, man, I should have invested some time into some other businesses because now poker's drying up. And every time I want to make money, I have to sit down at the poker table and trade my hours for money. And so the bigger picture was that I get to, uh, I get to build something where I don't necessarily have to trade my hours for poker, which has been great. Yeah. It's, it's a long-term play and the long-term eventually comes, but it seems like it doesn't ever come fast enough. And it's very easy. You know, one of my, one of my private coaching students, you know, he's streamlined, plugged into the game and everything is poker. He's it's full poker obsession every day. And like he, he's gone from, you know, last October starting at hundred NL having never played online before to now like winning 50 K in January at like one K and L. And I'm just like watching it. And I'm like, God, man, it, it's like, I want to be in the streets. Like, what yeah. am I doing with my life? Like this kid is just in six months. Like, he's like, yeah, man, like, I love it. I'm just, I'm, I'm playing every day. I'm playing big. I want to see how far I can go, you know? And you're, uh, I'm never going to do anything without like, without a private coach before. Like you've been so helpful. And I'm just like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be in the streets. Like I, I want to be that, that kid again. But like, I, I do see, you know, being in the streets was kind of what led me to content and uh, lacking fulfillment and then finding fulfillment and private coaching and making the content. And so like, there's always give and take and it's hard to do two things really well. You don't have enough time to do it um, or energy. And so like, yeah, I, I see both sides of it and I'm, you know, I'm I hear the siren song of going back to just grinding all the time. It's a hard thing to hard thing to brush off sometimes. I think that you can probably relate to this as well. There's because poker has been our identity for so long because making good money and cash games has been a part of our identity. And like, we identify as good poker players. We identify as cash game grinders. It's really difficult to let that go because the moment that I now start like making equal amount of money or even more money creating content, now I'm a content creator. And that doesn't feel as like rewarding inside of me. Like to me, the fact that I can tell someone I'm beating good, I'm beating cash games for a good amount in the year 2021, it just feels better. So it's hard to, it's hard to give up something that's been my identity for so long, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I had the thought the other day, like, can I even call myself a professional poker player anymore? I've played 3000 hands this year. Like I, by, by the time 7 PM rolls around to where the games are good and the game at the stakes, I want to play, like I'm done. Like I have no cognitive energy. I'm just totally fried and toast. And it would not be good, a good thing for me to put in sessions at that, that time of day and that mindset. And it's like, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I, I think that be, being a professional poker player is something that like it's an unusual path and it's earned. We're forged through fire. We're forged through the down that you know the dark days and we've overcome them and and there's pride in that. That's like, man, I fucking made it. Like I know so many people who have disappeared disappeared off the face of the planet who are on the same path as me, but I have persevered and I have made it. And it's yeah, it's very hard releasing that part of your identity. Yeah, hundred percent. But at the same time, I look at people like uh, Cole South or, or uh, a friend of mine that I interviewed the other day, uh, Max Altergott. And 
part of me is like, I don't want to give up poker because it feels like I maybe failed or, or like I couldn't cut it. But for them, they, they made so much money in poker and they left poker and they're okay with like not being a poker player anymore because they're in this other phase of life where they're professional businessmen now. And to me, that's always been so hard. It's always been so hard to, 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 to leave that. Even if I'm successful in this business thing, because a part of me feels like people aren't going to identify me as a poker player anymore. And like, that's my identity. And I don't want to be like those other people that couldn't cut it, you know, but that's, it's just stupid. Like we have to be okay with the phase that we are in life. I have to be okay with the fact that I made great money playing poker for 12 years. And now like I'm a hybrid poker player where like I still make good money, but now I'm making money in other ways, you know, that's okay. For sure. And, you know, Cole South is one of the most underrated legends of all time who, you know, is just one of the greatest poker players that have ever lived. And that's, you know, a great example of somebody that just had all the success and transitioned to something else and kind of just left poker behind. And that was okay. You know, it's, you know, there's, I think sunk cost is also kind of in play here where you invest thousands of hours becoming an expert and becoming world-class at something, it's really hard to walk away from all that time and energy you've invested. Yeah, definitely. So we've, we've been going uh, almost an hour and a half and we've kind of skipped over like all of my questions other than the, the first question, which is a thing that happens very frequently on the Jason Poker Greatness podcast. So some of these, I have some quotes here. You know, you mentioned somewhere that 150 hours is enough time to get a grasp on whether or not you're better than the competition, which I think goes contrary to like what a lot of people think, especially in the live poker arena. So would you like to expand on those thoughts? Um, So 150 hours, I don't remember saying that, but if I did say that. It was in a written interview somewhere. Okay. That, that, I think that that's a good enough uh, sample size to realize if you are comfortable in the game and if you feel like you have a decent grasp on the competition but if if you're gonna like consider quitting your job and going all in on poker i think you have to have a minimum of like a thousand to fifteen hundred live poker hours to like get a decent idea how you're doing at that particular stake so 150 hours is not something that i would recommend for like quitting your job and going all in on it but 150 hours of live poker i I think is enough to say like you should be able to at least break even over those 150 hours if it's like a smaller size stake. And you should have a decent understanding as to whether or not you have an edge in the game. I think after mm-hmm. 150 hours, if you don't know that you have an edge in the games that you're playing in, you don't have an edge in the games you're playing in. And that's not a, not a good place for you. Cause it should be very obvious. I mean, 150 hours, even though it, it sounds like a little as it relates to, understanding your win rate you should have a good idea of like the level of play around you that that's a great that's a great way to say it but like if you're actually considering like playing poker and not working you need to have like an idea of what your win rate is and there's no way you're going to know your win rate unless you put in thousands of hours absolutely and 100 true and it's very easy for you to misjudge run good with playing good and having an edge versus, you know, obviously not having an edge. Like that's something that kind of comes with experience. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I think what happened was is um, I played 150 hours during the Embrace the Grind series that I had, mm-hmm. where I played uh, poker every single day for five hours a day uh, for 30 days in a row. And I think what I said is that there was no way that I was going to lose over that 150 hours playing two five because um, it's a highly exploitable game. And I knew that I would be able to at least break even over 150 hours. Like if I've lost over 400 hours of live play before, but those were some, like there were some big chunks in there of like higher stakes. So like when you, when I'm playing a game where I can only buy in for a thousand, I just knew that I could overcome the variance in 150 hours with the level of competition that I was playing against. Yep, I agree 100%. What's the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey thus far? Uh, I would say that the um, the people that reach out to me telling me that I've had a profound impact on their life because when I upload videos, that's not something that I ever thought would happen. I thought that people would enjoy them, that people would maybe find value in them. But this actually happened yesterday and it's happened many times someone messaged me and said that I helped them with their sobriety. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how does my, how did me uploading YouTube videos help someone with their sobriety? I don't even talk about sobriety in my YouTube videos, but he, I was like, thank you so much. I don't get it, but thank you so much. And he's like, well, just the way that you approach like the downs and the way that you are calm and you, and you try to look, look at the bright side on a lot of situations. I kind of thought about that in my own life. And it helped me through some tough times. And I'm like, that's absolutely amazing. And it's completely unexpected. And that, that situation isn't, isn't uh, unique. Like that's happened to me over and over where people have just said, thank you so much for your videos. They helped me so much. They've helped me through my breakup, you know, and things like that. So that's the coolest part about it and the most rewarding part about it. And whenever I, whenever I, you know, something happens where it's tough or, I feel like um, people are being derogatory towards me or like dragging me. I, I kind of go back to the people that are that like find, are finding value as like validation on, you know, this is amazing. I need to drown out the noise and focus on the people that really care and that I'm helping. Yeah, you know, you, you've been a little bit of a lightning rod for some criticism with some other content creators, you know, like uh, Doug Polk and some of the uh, Sean Deeb, I believe as well. How have you managed to deal with that, make it through and just be more resilient at the end of the day? Uh, I, I look at those as really big learning experiences because um, <clears throat> I went from having no social footprint to having a pretty uh, large social footprint within poker virtually overnight. So, you know, I, I didn't know like how I would react until these things happen. And I considered myself like pretty well socially adjusted, pretty emotionally intelligent. But when I was faced with things from Sean Deeb and Doug Polk, I realized that I, I like, I still have a lot of room to grow. Like I, like I was taking things personal and, you know, rightfully so probably, but I probably should and could have reacted a lot differently. And I I take those things as a learning experience. Um, And actually, I'm pretty, pretty grateful for some of the things that have happened there. Uh, It allowed me to like, take a look inwards. I mean, poker is so sick for this, but just the using poker as a tool for your own like personal growth is something that's so underrated, because you get to experience 
your emotional highs and lows like quicker and you get to see insight on your own life quicker than the average person gets to see it. And same thing happened with me um, having people drag me on social media. It's like, I got to learn about myself quicker than when people reach out and they say, I love you so much. Your videos are so great. Like there's no growth in that for me, but when I'm facing criticism, now I get to look inwards and like, why is this bothering me? Like, what, what can I learn about this here? So I'm now looking back at the time, I wasn't grateful, but looking back, I'm grateful for those experiences. That's awesome, man. You know, it's like Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody's got to play until they get punched in the mouth. And that's, that's when we kind of learn. And poker is a great teacher in that way, because you can think of yourself as strong and resilient. And then poker is going to test that. Poker is going to put a mirror up in your face and be like, how strong are you? How resilient are you? How good at this game are you? Um, and you'll learn, you, you know, you'll either break, you'll realize that like, you're not the person you thought you were, or, you know, you're strong, you, you gain strength, you, you're exposed, you're vulnerable, you, you try to be the person that, you know, you want to be And Yeah, those are great teachers, right? You're getting forged by fire. And really, you anybody can think that they handle criticism well. But when they get criticized publicly, that's the real test. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like as someone that identifies as a poker player and someone who's good at poker, like like we both know, this is a part of our identity. So when John Deeb uh, wants to say that I'm like not a good poker player after like never playing with me and never consuming my content, I like I take that personal. You know, like here's someone that doesn't know anything about me that is questioning my prowess as a poker player. So it 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 was really frustrating for me because and and like it makes sense. Like I've never played with him. I don't play tournaments, which he plays tournaments. He lives on the East Coast. I live on the West Coast. So it's fine that he doesn't know who I am. I just need to like let that go. Like you don't think I'm a good poker player. You don't know who I am. That's fine. Like I don't have anything to prove to him. So that was a big learning for me. And then with Doug Polk, it was like, sure, Doug Polk's one of the best poker players in the world. Like, why am I trying to impress one of the best poker players in the world or like validate myself to one of the best poker players in the world. He's probably like right with his criticism with me. Like I'm a shit player compared to him and I just need to be okay with that. You know, I think it's just it too. It's part of marketing strategy and something that Doug has just historically done well is like, you know, you're gaining traction, you're, you're gaining influence. You have, you're growing your audience and picking a fight with you means that you're viewers are going to go check out Doug Polk because when you address it, you know, they, they get emotional. And it's like, to me, it's not something that like I feel comfortable doing, but I can also see what's happening there in the same way that like the whole Negranu thing went down, right? Like he's been punching up at Negranu for all of these years. Negranu gets pissed. Negranu fires back. People watch Doug, Doug's influence grows. And that's just sort of the, the plan. Um, and it's very strategic and, you know, different strokes for different folks. It's not a thing that I personally could ever really do. I don't, I don't think I, <laughs> it's not authentic to like who I am, I guess is like trying to tear people down just so that I can grow my brand. But I do see, you know, I, I see the strategic nature of, of what he was doing. Yeah. But I, I personally believe that it's hard to, it's hard for me to separate the online persona from the real life because I just am who I am. Like, I don't, there's no like putting on a show for my videos. Like when I turn on the camera, like I'm me. So if I'm dragging this energy from like calling someone out, that's going to seep over into my life. And I just don't like that type of energy. Like I don't like the combative type of energy 
So when he was like doing it for show or doing it for marketing, it's just something that I could never really do because it would affect me in my daily life. Like that negative energy that I'm putting out in towards Doug or towards Sean is actually in my life now. Like it's not, oh, it's not, a, sure. it's not a marketing thing. It's not a video thing. It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, this is affecting me, you know? So it's just not something that I'm ever want to do. Yeah. And I, you know, I like feeling good and I like laying my head down on the pillow and being happy with who I am. And so changing that just to grow audience for me would just, it, it would just be a non, it would never happen basically. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't actually judge them for doing it. I, I like I said, I, I see the marketing value of it and it just is what it is. Um, let's see. Let's do, let's do some lightning round questions, man. And then we'll, yep. we'll get you, get you out of here. What's some common poker advice you hear? that you completely disagree with? Common poker advice that I hear that I disagree with. Oh, this is a tough one. You put me on the spot here. <laughs> I, I'm stumped, man. <laughs> it's, it, this is a tough one for me. It's okay. You, you, you yeah. can be stumped. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. We, we'll, we'll just move on to the next question. Maybe given some time, it'll, something will pop up in your brain. Um, okay. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, doesn't have to be about poker what would it be and why okay so um i think i i have uh, one book i have one book that i've invested my time and energy in 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 relation to poker and i think it's pretty timeless the problem with poker books is as soon as you print them they're starting to become outdated uh but this particular book i think does do really well stand the standing test of time and it's applications of Advanced Applications of No Limit Hold'em by Matthew Janda. And um, it's something that I recommend to anyone that's uh, think that wants to think about No Limit Hold'em and, and a, at a higher level. Shockingly, that's the first time applications by Matthew Janda has been mentioned on the show. Yeah, Out of <laughs> over 100 guests, that's the first time. Wow. Um, which is very surprising. And yeah, it's just a, kind of a must read for poker players, aspiring poker players specifically. If you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would it be? Hmm, change one thing about poker. I don't know, man. It's such a beautiful game. It stood the test stood the test of time. You know, Doyle Brunson was playing this game riding on a horse to uh different towns in Texas. I I love the nostalgia aspect of poker. Um and I don't, I'm like a traditionalist in so many ways. Like when an NBA team changes their Jersey, I don't like it. Like I want them to go back to the eighties version of their, their okay, uh, so Jersey. Let's go back. You know, you got your magic one, like maybe cash plays in Vegas, right? Like that's uh, a that thing is that's a changed. Huge one. I, I absolutely love that. I, you know, having the bricks of cash on the table where you can just like put them in the middle. That, that was really fun. Yep. I agree. That was fun. And uh, apparently it was easy to launder money as well, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. I think is ultimately why they got rid of it. Um, but yeah, yeah that's I mean, thing. if that's I could change I here, here's something that I, I will say is that I wish that there wasn't so much regulation around poker in general. Like why can't we just get a group of people together to play poker in whatever state that we want to play it in whatever country that we want to play it in. If you want to fire it up on your computer that like, I just miss the freedom with poker, you know, the, the freedom of it being a social game and getting together with your friends and like beating, beating someone out of money, having them beat you out of money without the government saying like, you're not allowed to do that. Or you, 
oh, you're, you have to be on Indian land in this state if you want to do that. You know, it's just, it's, it's really unfortunate. That thousand percent. I mean, let's play cards. Like it's basically because poker's kind of positioned as this gambling casino game when I think the reality is it's not. And that's really been the, the heart of everything that kind of bad that has happened through the years. Plus, you know, the poker platforms in the early 2000s didn't have the vision to invest into lobbying, which was kind of a giant, giant, giant blunder. You could erect a billboard. Every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What's it say? I think uh, one of my biggest pet peeves in poker is people berating other poker players at the table for their play. So I think the billboard would say, uh, just say nice hand. (laughs) Just say nice hand. It can also say, you're not that great yourself, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've white knighted uh, like beginning poker players more than my fair share of times at the poker table. When I see like a rag or a bad winner or a bad loser um, talking to a newer player, I, I just feel like there's no place for that in the game. And it's just, it's horrible. Well, it kills the game. You know, we're in yeah. this, we're, you know, as content creators specifically, I think something that's, you know, near and dear to our hearts is growing the game and introducing poker to more people and building the market. And that's a thing that does not do that. That is the anti uh, growing the market that's getting that's leaving people leave the table with a bad taste in their mouth and they don't want to play poker ever again because it's associated with some bullshit because somebody that thinks they know a lot more than they do had a bad day and that to me is just shitty and yeah i don't don't do that yeah <laughs> what's something folks would be surprised to learn you're horrible at well okay so I think that they would be surprised to learn that I'm actually horrible at talking to a camera. Like if it, if there's no one around and I'm trying to film a YouTube video, I literally have to like jump around and like get my energy up because if, if I just did it, how I'm would normally default to doing it, you guys would think that I'm dead. Like I, <laughs> I am like, Hey guys, I'm Johnny and I'm here to talk to you about poker today. Like that's my natural state. So I'm horrible naturally at doing that. I have to like remind myself that like, Hey, I'm alive. I'm a human being like jump around a little bit, like communicate who you actually are and stop being so like neurotic about being professional. Yeah. For me, it takes like basically 20 horrible takes to kind of fire me up and be like, motherfucker, this is a two minute thing I'm trying to do here. I've been sitting in front of the camera for an hour and a half. Let's fucking show some emotion and get this done. Right. Um, Until that moment where I get fired up, it's like monotony. I'm forgetting words. I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Yeah. So what's your current big goal as related to poker? Um, so we talked about the, a, little bit, a little bit about this before we, uh, we started the uh, official show. I used to have this like disdain for tournament poker, but I'm slowly turning around to the idea of playing it more and I think um, I my tournament poker resume is essentially just playing the main event for like the last 10 years or so. And I, I think I want to start playing it a little bit more just because I recognize that there's value there. And now that I'm creating a consistent uh, income outside of poker, 
that allows me to like, you know, buy more lottery tickets. I want to start um, having a goal of doing better in tournaments because at the end of the day, I'm not that experienced. And when we uh, when we get down to the ICM and you know the the real knowledge that you need to have for executing late stage tournaments, I'm a complete novice. You know, I have my I have my uh, poker intuition from all the years of playing, but I want to become much better and I want to have some hardware to back it up. Good man. I feel that. I feel that. And it's very weird hearing me say that in today's day and age after 17 years of kind of scoffing at tournaments, but I understand like it's, they're fun and they're a test of skill. And I think that like, honestly, over the years, realizing how much skill there really is and it has its own draw and having money that's coming in also kind of gives you the freedom to not feel irresponsible by playing a tournament instead of grinding cash for 10 hours. Yeah. What's the project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? So I haven't really um, talked about this publicly at all yet. I've, I've been working on this project that um, started off in the physical trading card space uh, I, what we wanted to do was I, I got together with a couple poker friends. It's crazy. So every year that, um, I've been a poker player, there's been like these new trends that come out. Like five years ago, it was daily fantasy sports. And a lot of my friends left poker to go into daily fantasy sports, things that are like analytics based and data driven. I feel like poker players kind of gravitate towards. So a lot of my friends left poker to go into DFS and so lately sports card trading has become like another thing that there's not a lot of data analytics to support sales and, and the market. So we got together and they, they like, we should build this data product where it analyzes the trends of sports cards. So we started doing this. It's, it's pretty hard. It's pretty difficult because we have to scrape eBay data, but then um, NFTs came out and NBA top shot. And we're like, we, we did a little pivot and now we're creating a data-driven product around sports digital moments. We're starting with NBA Top Shop. We're going to eventually have it with NFL, NHL, whatever, when they come out. So more than creating a data-driven uh, piece of software, I'm just falling in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur. It's like something that I didn't grow up doing. And as I've created this life through hustling as a poker player, and now through um, learning about marketing, through creating content, I have this like entrepreneurship kindling fire inside of me that's a growing year over year. And regardless of this project that I'm working on, it, it's, I'm always going to have this now. I feel like it's grown inside of me and, and marrying something that's data-driven that, that like is nerd at heart with entrepreneurial is just like the perfect thing for me. So near and dear to my heart is the new entrepreneurial life that I'm chasing. Is it going to be like, how, how is it facing? Is this like software that you're going to use privately that you're going to have a team use, or is it like customer facing? It's uh, it's going to be customer facing. So you have your portfolio. Um, I don't know if you're in crypto, but like you have your portfolio of, of uh, cryptocurrencies. I'm in have. poker. Mr. Vibes, <laughs> come on, man. I, 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 I'm in crypto. Like I, my, the, the place where I was grinding forever has been ignition. So like, you know, yeah. no more, no more 3k checks from fucking Singapore anymore. Once Bitcoin kind of hit, hit, yeah. hit, hit, uh, God, I can't even talk. 
hit ignition as a payment processing option. Yeah. So I'm sure you have Blockfolio on your phone then? No, I don't have that. Oh, okay. So <laughs> With all that app, said, I don't have that. It's an app where you can just kind of like put in how much crypto you have and you wake up every day and you kind of like look at it and like what's up, what's down and all in one place. So we kind of mm-hmm. want to have this for your digital portfolio where you can put it like it, it communicates with the blockchain and it's like, oh, you have LeBron James and Cristiano Ronaldo and and it like tracks your portfolio and what's the performance been over the last week? Oh, LeBron James has an ankle injury now. What's that doing to your portfolio? So we want to kind of gamify it in a way and turn it into like the stock market, like in a way. And it's like a Robin Hood of NFTs or something. Yeah, like create an index around players and, and like be the source for you to check up on your portfolio and track uh, and even do some research on certain players. Like, I want to see how this certain player has performed in the last 12 months. Let's pull up the chart. And like, they come to my website, which is going to eventually be called Index the Moment. Awesome, man. That That's a great idea. And I'm sure there are tons of people listening who are very, very interested, who also love the NFTs. And, you know, like, like you said, it's it, every few years, it's another thing. And crypto is another thing that's kind of been big in the poker world over the last like probably three or four years. And I totally get the entrepreneurship bug too. Like it's a really amazing feeling selling things. Like it, it to me, it's like, I go to sleep, I wake up, I've made some sales and I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. Like people I think are- if you trace it back to the root though, you're creating something that you feel has value and there's like a sense of pride and you creating this thing. And then when people validate it by purchasing it, that's where the connection comes in. And you're like, wow, I created this thing and other people besides me now think that it has value. So that's what it is. Those sales are rolling in. It's validation that you are putting good content, good products out into the world. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And it's trust too, right? It's saying like, I trust you that when I invest my money into you, you're going to give me value in return. And like, that's just a really cool, it's just really a really awesome feeling. Um, so final question, man. Uh, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find more about Johnny Vibes on the World Wide Web's? So I made it pretty easy. You just go to johnnyvibes.com and I have links to my uh, YouTube channel. I have um, merch that I make that's like a creative project. Uh, Basically everything to my socials uh, is on johnnyvibes.com. But yeah, like I I said, YouTube is like my favorite place because I get to be the most creative on YouTube. And I, I, I have multiple channels on YouTube now. I have the Johnny Vibes channel where I primarily talk about poker and poker vlogs and how I play hands and things like that. And then I have the second channel where it's a conversational format, kind of like how we're doing it called embrace the grind where I talk about a little bit more than poker, talk about poker. I talk about things that I'm doing in crypto. I talk about real estate. I talk, um, you know, cause I'm buying a property in Tulum right now. I, I, I talk about uh, NFTs and, and things like that. So, and I have guests on from mostly from the poker world. Um, so it's a fun like space to just have conversations that's my second channel. And I'm actually starting a third channel that's going to be uh, sports related and NFT related where I'm going to get together with friends and talk about sports. And, you know, it's crazy. Like I grew up loving sports and I, you know, I have all this like useless, what I thought was useless sports knowledge. Mm-hmm. And now 
so many years later, I get to talk about all these things that I that, that were once useless in my mind. <laughs> yep, nothing's ever truly useless. Um, when are you going to find time to sleep? You know, three YouTube channels and actually playing poker. Like, how do you? And you have a family. Like, what are? Oh my gosh, you... it's it's. I basically what happens is I don't get it. I don't get it done. Things get like pushed to the next day and pushed to the next day. Um, but partially that's my own fault. I'm a perfectionist with my content and I, I want to be the exec, I'm not more than the executive producer. I want to be the actual producer. And if I ever want to scale, I have to fix that problem. I have to be able to have someone help me create content. And I'm in the process of trying to do that now with uh, a guy who used to work for Live at the Bike, Patrick Curran. He was the uh, producer of their videos. He's uh, He's going to be working with me and Hopefully he, he'll be able to just like reach inside of my brain and put it into video. Uh, and I can be a little bit more hands-off, which, which will allow me to do more uh, creative things that aren't involved with actually producing the video. Yeah. You, you just got to let go of the control, man. You just got to like, just got to let it, let it go and trust in somebody else. And like, it's going to be a little different than the way you would do it. But if they're doing the best job that they can, it, some of those differences might be superior to the way that you did it before. And freeing up that time and energy is just invaluable. 100%. And, and it's crazy. It's, this goes back to the poker thing. Like we, we identify as poker players. And now that I've been making videos for three years, I identify myself as like a video editor. And like I have a style. And these are like things that I take pride in now. So now if someone else is editing the video, that takes away a little bit. It chips a little away at my like identity. For sure. hundred percent. Like it's a hard thing letting go of control. And the reality is though, I think the conclusion I've ultimately come to and we'll end on this point is that none of us are all that unique or special. <laughs> There's always somebody else that can do exactly what we do just as good as us if we look for it. And you just have to trust that they're out there and, you know, just let go of control. I mean, probably better in a lot of cases. I, I heard this recently and I think it's pretty true. All the unique thoughts in the world have already been had. Like we're just recycling other people's thoughts and, you know, creativity is just a, a variation of someone else's idea and that's fine, you know? Yeah. I had that thought three years ago. <laughs> I heard that joke on Twitter, like just a, a few months back. It's a good one. Yeah, um, no, that's a good joke. <laughs> I actually thought of that before you thought of it. <laughs> Johnny, it's been great having you on, man. We'll get you on for round two in the very near future. Keep on keeping on. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's been a pleasure. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it was great connecting with you, man. And we, I found that we're so similar in so many ways. You know, we, we've been in this game for so long. We've followed a similar cash game trajectory where we were like, this was our life. Now we're creating content. We got a wife, you know, all these changes that are happening in life. So it was, it was really great connecting with you as well. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.